Hello and welcome to the Verity Podcast for Thursday, January 18th, 2024. The only podcast that separates the fact from the narrative spin. I'm Adam Clark. And I'm Eric Steiner. Here's a look at today's top stories. An Iranian missile strike on Pakistan kills two children. China's economic growth reaches a three-decade low. Belarus updates its military doctrine. Marine vet Daniel Penny loses a motion to dismiss his subway chokehold case. E. Jean Carroll's $10 million defamation trial against Trump begins. A judge blocks Spirit Airlines' merger deal with JetBlue. France announces parental leave reforms. A report finds that 90% of online child abuse content is self-generated through extortion. The FDA clears an AI-powered handheld cancer detector. And a cloned rhesus monkey reaches adulthood for the first time. In our top story, Iraq and Pakistan recall ambassadors after deadly Iranian attacks. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Washington Post, Iran International, Al Jazeera, ABC News, Dawn, and Independent. In the wake of an unauthorized airstrike inside Pakistan that reportedly killed a six-year-old girl and an 11-month-old boy on Tuesday, Islamabad announced Wednesday that it had recalled its ambassador from Tehran and that the Iranian ambassador to Pakistan, who was visiting his own country, wouldn't be allowed to return. Iraq has also recalled its ambassador from Iran and filed a complaint against Iran at the U.N. Security Council following a missile and drone attack that hit Syria and Iraqi Kurdistan on Monday, reportedly killing a toddler in Erbil. Meanwhile, the Arab League is set to hold an emergency meeting. Iranian state media attributed the strikes to its paramilitary revolutionary guard, claiming that two bases of the Jaish al-Adil militant group were targeted in Pakistan's Baluchistan province while missiles fired into Syria. And Iraq targeted the so-called Islamic State and alleged Israeli spy headquarters, respectively. The Sunni Baluch group, Jaish al-Adil, which was founded roughly a decade ago, has pushed for Iran's eastern Sistan and Pakistan's southwestern Baluchistan to become independent causing growing suspicion between both countries as multiple attacks have been carried out in recent years. Pakistan's caretaker Foreign Minister Jalil Abbas Jilani condemned the attack in a phone call with Iran's Foreign Minister Hossein Amir Abdullahian, adding that his country reserves the right to respond to such a violation. Concerns about conflict expanding across Middle East have been running high since the Israel-Hamas war broke out following the Hamas October 7th attack on Israel, with near-daily exchanges of fire between Lebanon's Hezbollah and Israel on their border, and tensions mounting in the Red Sea as Yemen's Houthis fight the U.S.-led international force created to protect shipping. Eric, thank you for the facts. On our first story today, I'm going to start our first round of narrative spins with an anti-Iran narrative provided by the New York Times. Iran's recent missile attacks on Pakistan and Iraq, allegedly to fight terrorists, have heightened tensions in an already volatile region where its proxy military forces have caused much of the violence. Tehran is acting recklessly at a time when all parties should use restraint and respect the territorial integrity of its neighbors. De-escalation and coordinated action are essential to safeguard at least some stability. The pro-Iran narrative comes from Tehran Times. 
It is hardly Iran causing regional tensions to escalate, as Tehran has only protected itself from terrorists operating within the territories of Pakistan and Iraq. While Iran respects their sovereignty and territorial integrity, it must maintain its own security when challenged by terrorists. Undoubtedly, Pakistan has not gone far enough to prevent terrorists from the Jahish al-Adil from striking Iran. And in our first round of Narrative Spins, the nerds from Attaculus are going to join in with a nerd narrative that states that there's a 10% chance that the U.S. and Iran will be primary actors on opposite sides of a war before 2025. That's according, as I said, to our friends of the Metaculus prediction community. They're not my friends, Adam. I don't know what you're thinking, buddy. Did you not get a Christmas card from them this no, year? No, I did not. That's why you're so bitter. Premier Li Chiang announces a 5.2% GDP growth for China in 2023. Here are the facts as agreed upon by MFA, the National Bureau of Statistics of China, World Bank Open Data, CNBC, and Asia Financial. Chinese Premier Li Kuang revealed that China's gross domestic product, or GDP, grew by approximately 5.2% in 2023, while speaking at the opening ceremony of the 2024 World Economic Forum or the WEF, their annual meeting on Tuesday. The National Bureau of Statistics of China confirmed a day later that total GDP in 2023 had risen to approximately 126 trillion yuan, or approximately 17.7 trillion U.S. dollars, in 2023, claiming that despite a complex and grave international environment, the economy had, quote, witnessed the momentum of recovery. Lee stated that the Chinese economy, described as an important engine of global development, was making steady progress and had exceeded the 5% target set at the beginning of 2023. He added that Beijing did, quote, not seek short-term growth while accumulating long-term risks, while claiming that the Chinese economy could handle ups and downs in its performance. According to data from the World Bank, when disregarding years affected by the COVID pandemic, the growth rate is China's lowest since 1990, which was approximately 3.9%. China also saw a 2.2% growth rate in 2020 and a 3% growth rate in 2022. In his remarks at the WEF in Davos, Lee stated that the innovation should not be used to restrict other nations, noting the importance of cooperation in innovation. He didn't mention any countries, but Beijing has reportedly called on Washington to ease restrictions that prevent Chinese companies from buying advanced technology from U.S. businesses. Following the news, China's CSI 300 index declined by 2.18%. The Shanghai Composite Index fell by 2.09%, the Shenzhen Composite Index fell by 2.54%, and the Star 100 Index dropped by 1.9%. Thanks, Adam. Our first spin for this story is a pro-China narrative coming from Global Times. Despite uncertain international economic conditions, the Chinese economy has once again defied expectations and surpassed the government's GDP target in 2023. PRC government policies continue to lead China out of the depths of the COVID pandemic, and despite a lagging real estate sector, 2024 looks set to be another solid year for economic advancement. That's going to be countered with an anti-China narrative provided by CNN. With 2023 seeing some of China's weakest economic growth in over three decades alongside a second consecutive year of population decline, there is much to worry about in Beijing. 
following China's working population specifically seeing a decline of over 10 million last year. China's GDP will almost certainly see a further decline in 2024, as the world's second-largest economy continues to grapple with a plethora of domestic dangers. Our friends from the Metaculous Prediction community is providing a nerd narrative. They say there's a 15% chance that China's GDP will overtake the U.S. before 2030. Belarus plans to update their military doctrine and possibly permit nuclear weapons use. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the official website of the president of Belarus and Defense News. Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko summoned a meeting of his country's Security Council on Tuesday. It was held to discuss the adoption of two key strategic documents, one on national security and the other on military doctrine. According to a government account of the meeting, Lukashenko said that the changes were necessitated by a transformation of the risks, challenges, and threats to Belarus's national security. Lukashenko did not explicitly outline any changes that permitted the country's nuclear weapons use, but did point to threats of using the weapons made in the course of the Israel-Hamas conflict as an example of why updates were needed. He says, quote, a terrible humanitarian catastrophe is unfolding. Lukashenko also said, quote, please note that threats to use nuclear weapons were voiced almost immediately after the escalation of the conflict. And as is usually the case, no sanctions followed on the part of the, quote, civilized West. Just cliched statements as if nothing had happened. He added, quote, unfortunately, we were thrown back to a time when military force was the main argument in interstate relations. Victor Krenin, the country's defense minister, more explicitly suggested at the meeting, quote, We clearly communicate Belarus's views on the use of tactical nuclear weapons stationed on our territory. A new chapter has appeared, where we clearly define our allied obligations to our allies. Nonetheless, it remains unclear exactly what the changes will mean for the newly stationed Russian nuclear weapons in Belarus. Russia has previously said it will maintain full control of the munitions in this instance, intended for battlefield use only, with low ranges and comparatively low yields. The Belarus government statement insisted that while the military doctrine was updated to meet modern needs, the documents, quote, emphasized that Belarus is a peaceful country that does not threaten anyone, but that the country will push back against any attempts to interfere in internal affairs or to use military force and will respond to any aggression. After the two documents were approved by the Security Council on Tuesday, they will need to be approved by the country's People's Congress, a parallel arm that runs alongside its parliament. Eric, thank you for the facts. We're going to start the spins with the establishment critical narrative provided by Belarusian Telegraph Agency. Belarus's military doctrine was years out of date, highlighted most apparently by the recent conflict in the Middle East. Belarus is a peaceful country and does not threaten anyone. Nonetheless, it will not accept any interference in its political affairs, nor any forms of aggression towards its territory, including from the so-called Western rules-based order. The recent changes simply reflect the modern reality. There's a pro-establishment narrative, and it's coming from Independent. Belarus, Russia's closest ally, has just sent alarm bells ringing throughout the halls of Western governments. This is a reckless move and is a clear provocation to NATO particularly to neighbors Poland, Latvia, and Lithuania in the eastern flank. The West must respond accordingly to these developments. Guess what? Metaculus has got an opinion. They think there's a 45% chance that Russia will significantly incorporate Belarus into the Union state 
before 2030. A New York judge denies the motion to dismiss the NYC subway chokehold trial. Here are the facts as agreed upon by ABC News, NBC, The Post Millennial, and Fox News. New York City Judge Maxwell Wiley on Wednesday ruled against Daniel Penny's motion to dismiss his involuntary manslaughter case for the death of Jordan Neely on a subway car last May the 1st. Wiley called the evidence legally sufficient for the case to proceed. The attorney for Neely's family called the ruling a big win, but Penny's attorney argued the case is an ill-conceived prosecution, adding that Penny acted to protect the other passengers. This case began on the F train in Manhattan, where witness Juan Vasquez said Neely began using somewhat aggressive speech with Penny, a former Marine. Vasquez said Penny subsequently pinned Neely down in a chokehold for about 15 minutes. Other witnesses' accounts claim Neely was shouting at passengers and behaving erratically, though others who were on board disputed those accounts. Penny also claimed he only wanted to restrain Neely until the authorities arrived. Penny, who claims the encounter lasted less than five minutes, has since faced accusations of racism because he is white and Neely was black. Neely also had a history of mental health issues that were known to the New York Police Department, who at the time had a warrant out for his arrest for punching an elderly woman on the subway. Penny, who was released on a $100,000 bail and ordered to hand over his passport after he turned himself in 11 days after the incident, is due back in court on March the 20th. He has pleaded not guilty. Adam, thanks for presenting the facts. The round of spins begins with a left narrative coming from public notice. This ruling is a big win for justice. Those on the right who claim to be in favor of law and order have completely dropped their stance regarding this case. Penny should have called law enforcement to help Neely, but instead turned himself into a criminal with his overuse of force. He should be condemned from all ends of the political spectrum for his actions, regardless of his race. That's going to be followed up with the right narrative provided by American Spectator. This is ill-conceived prosecution. Neely spent 15 years terrorizing New Yorkers, including punching elderly people in the head, and the city allowed him to repeatedly skip jail and stop taking his schizophrenia medication. Far-left policies on crime and mental health have put New Yorkers at risk. While Neely's death was tragic, Penny acted to protect his fellow passengers and should be honored, not prosecuted. Carroll testifies in the defamation trial against Trump. Here are the facts as agreed upon by New York Times, USA Today, Associated Press, Independent, and Washington Post. On Wednesday, former Elle magazine advice columnist E. Jean Carroll took the stand in a federal courtroom in Lower Manhattan in her $10 million defamation suit against Republican former U.S. President Donald Trump. Carroll testified that when Trump in 2019 made two statements accusing her of lying about claims he assaulted her in the 1990s, he, quote, shattered her reputation. Carroll, who made her initial accusation of rape in 2019, was awarded $5 million in combined damages for sexual abuse and a 2022 defamation incident after a jury ruled in a May 2023 trial. This trial will determine what, if anything, Trump must pay on top of the earlier judgment. Judge Lewis A. Kaplan warned Trump that he would revoke his right to be present following comments the former president made during Carroll's testimony. Previously, Trump on Tuesday made several posts about the case to Truth Social, calling the accusations, quote, fabricated lies and political shenanigans and an attempted extortion. 
Trump is currently the frontrunner for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination after leading in the polls for months and winning the Iowa caucuses earlier this week. Eric, thanks for the facts. We're going to start the spins with the anti-Trump narrative provided by MSNBC. Trump does a lot of grousing about the alleged fraudulent nature of this case, but he continues to prove Carol's point with his attacks on her. Even as he sat in the courtroom, Trump's social media was slandering her and accusing her of lying. Continuing to go after someone who's suing you for defamation isn't the best strategy to convince a jury you're right. Breitbart follows that up with a pro-Trump narrative. Trump has to do all he can to call out the witch hunt that's trying to bring him down before he can win re-election to the White House. This case is rigged against him, with a Democrat-nominated judge and a plaintiff who's being financially backed by Democratic activists and a Democratic mega-donor who has vowed to do everything he can to take down Trump. Another nerd narrative by the Metaculous Prediction community states that there's a 94% chance that Trump will be the 2024 Republican nominee for the U.S. presidential election. A federal judge blocks the Spirit and JetBlue Airlines merger. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, New York Times, Fox News, CNBC, and WCVB. A federal judge on Tuesday blocked JetBlue Airways' $3.8 billion proposed acquisition of Spirit Airlines. The ruling cited that President Joe Biden's Department of Justice, or the DOJ, who suggested that the deal would hurt competition and consumers. Judge William G. Young of the U.S. District Court for the District of Massachusetts wrote in his 109-page ruling that the proposed merger would hurt cost-conscious travelers who value Spirit for its low prices. He added that JetBlue would have an incentive to abandon its roots as a maverick, low-cost carrier. The DOJ, along with several Democratic state attorneys general, argued that the merger between the U.S.'s sixth and seventh largest airlines would extinguish a vital source of low-cost disruption along more than 375 routes and cause $1 billion in annual net harm to consumers. However, JetBlue's lawyers said the argument was misguided, since both airlines only control less than 8% of the market combined. JetBlue has been trying to grow and compete with the industry leaders such as Delta and United. Last year, a different Massachusetts judge upheld the DOJ's decision to block a regional partnership between JetBlue and American Airlines in the Northeast U.S. JetBlue worked to reach a deal with Spirit after it agreed to merge with Frontier Airlines. After rejecting offers from JetBlue for many months, Spirit exited its agreement with Frontier and agreed to join with JetBlue in July of 2022. While Judge Young blocked the terms of the merger, he said his ruling didn't prevent the two airlines from, quote, taking another bite at the apple. Spirit's shares plummeted 47% on Tuesday and fell another 23% on Wednesday, fueling speculation about the airline filing bankruptcy. While the Biden administration says the ruling protects competition, critics say it only entrenches the power of the top four airlines, which control 80% of the market. Adam just presented the facts, and now we're going to check out some of the spins, beginning with Narrative A coming from Travel and Leisure. This ruling protects competition and is a massive victory for consumers that will likely save the existence of cheap air travel. Spirit is known for its low prices that allow many more people to travel, and a merger with JetBlue would have disrupted that business model. 
The government has an obligation to prevent businesses from consolidating and vesting complete power in a handful of industry giants. Young's ruling not only protects cost-conscious consumers, but also strengthens antitrust protections against oligopolies. The spin's going to continue with a Narrative B provided by BNN. While Judge Young and the DOJ may believe that they're sticking up for consumers, the fact is they're only entrenching the power of the top four airlines and facilitating the downfall of Spirit and cheap airlines. Spirit is in serious financial trouble, and it needed JetBlue to revive its struggling business. Instead of allowing JetBlue to save Spirit, the government blocked a necessary merger, causing the airline's share price to plummet dramatically. Instead of saving cheap air travel, the DOJ has pushed it to the brink of viability. The nerds from Metaculus say there's a 45% chance that JetBlue will announce that it has acquired Spirit Airlines before 2026. France to reform parental leave as birth rates drop. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Bloomberg News, RFI, Le Monde, and Connection France. French President Emmanuel Macron said on Tuesday that his government will overhaul the current parental leave system to revive the country's birth rate. France registered 678,000 births in 2023, the lowest figure since 1946. The nation's average birth rate is 1.68 children per woman, down from 1.79 in 2022. However, despite the decline in birth rates, France recorded a slight increase in population in 2023, while life expectancy in France has reached 80 for men and 85.7 for women. Promising a, quote, major plan to combat infertility, Macron said, the reformed, better-paid parental leave system will enable both parents to be with their child for six months, if they so wish. France's current parental leave system allows parents to suspend work until their child is three. However, due to the relatively low remuneration offered, €429 per month, only 1% of men take up the offer. All right, Eric just laid out the facts for that story. I'm going to start the spins with the narrative A. Brought to us by The Telegraph. France is taking immediate measures to stem the decline in the country's birth rate, even though at 1.68 children per woman, it still has the highest fertility rate in Europe. President Macron must be applauded for aiming to, quote, rearm French fertility, as the country can't afford to go through a demographic collapse right now. And Guardian's Narrative B says that France, like the rest of Europe, has witnessed a healthy demographic transition since the French Revolution. While the reason for the change has been largely religious, the country enjoys considerable economic benefits of having fewer people. Lower fertility has meant rising living standards, which has kept France a strong nation. Macron's motivation for this policy change is not only economic, it's a political reaction to immigration. And the nerds think that there's a 5% chance that Emmanuel Macron will cease being president of France before 2027. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction community. A recent report shows that 90% of online child abuse content is self-generated through extortion. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Sky News, First Post, BNN Breaking, Guardian, and BBC News. Over 90% of over 275,000 websites found to contain child sexual abuse content in 2023 included self-generated images reportedly involving children as young as three. The images are reportedly obtained through the extortion and coercion of minors. 
According to data released by the Internet Watch Foundation, self-generated sexual abuse material featuring children under 10 had been discovered on more than 100,000 web pages, marking a 66% rise from 2022. The anti-abuse charity claims that Meta's plans for introducing end-to-end encryption on its messenger service could potentially hinder the detection of abusive content. However, the foundation's chief executive officer, Susie Hargreaves, said the 8% rise in websites containing self-generated imagery could also indicate that detection systems on the Internet are working better. End-to-end encryption makes reading messages sent online extremely difficult and is intended to bolster the privacy of both the senders and recipients. As a potential downside, this technology also reportedly hinders law enforcement activities in cases like these. This comes after the UK National Police Chief's Council last week reported a, quote, worrying trend of sextortion in which crime syndicates blackmail children using compromising images. Adam, thank you for those facts. Narrative A comes from Guardian. Most often, criminals are one step ahead of law enforcement authorities. A tool like encryption hands a potential virtual weapon to bad actors. It's vital to balance the need for unfettered privacy with regulating technology that has a strong downside. An open society with private discussions does not also have to include tech that can harm children. We're going to continue with a narrative B provided by UNICEF. Contrary to the erroneous assumption that encryption enables child sex abuse online, encryption technology overall protects children by limiting their exposure to such content alongside threats and blackmail. The tool could also prevent criminals from accessing children's pictures or locations online. Not using encryption leaves everyone, including children, vulnerable. The nerds from Metaculus say there's a 2% chance that meta platforms will sell Instagram or WhatsApp before 2025. In medical news, the FDA approves an AI-powered skin cancer detector. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, targeted oncology, Forbes, and BusinessWire. Miami-based device maker Dermasensor announced Wednesday that its artificial intelligence or AI-powered device to help physicians detect cancer on suspicious moles or lesions has been approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, or FDA. The product is also called Dermasensor. The wireless handheld device uses spectroscopy technology to examine lesions at cellular and subcellular levels before its algorithm scans the characteristics of the skin. It was evaluated in a Mayo Clinic-led study across 22 centers with over 1,000 patients, resulting in a 96% sensitivity rate for all 224 types of skin cancer, as well as a 97% accuracy rate for identifying benign tumors. Currently, doctors check for skin cancer either through a specialized microscope or a visual examination. Dermasensor, in contrast, emits light onto the skin and captures the wavelengths of light that reflect off of cellular structures beneath the skin. In another study that included 108 physicians, Dermasensor was found to reduce missed cancer diagnoses from 18% to 9%. However, the FDA is requiring the company to conduct more clinical trials on the device's performance on different demographic groups once it's on the market. It will reportedly cost $199 per month for five patients and $399 per month for unlimited use. This comes as one in five Americans over 70 years old have had some type of skin cancer, with an estimated 5.5 million new cases per year, 
and medical treatment costs totaling $8.1 billion annually. Thank you, Eric, for laying out the facts. The Narrative A Spin is brought to us by Pharmacy Times. Using AI in oncology will revolutionize cancer detection and treatment. Tests like these will allow patients to avoid uncomfortable and invasive procedures while also obtaining incredibly accurate results. Furthermore, scientists are developing AI tools to better prescribe chemotherapy and even drug treatments. This technology will be a powerful assistant to doctors in the fight against cancer. Narrative B comes from Forbes. The assimilation of AI into healthcare runs the risk of giving those with a financial stake too much power. Even as AI makes healthcare more efficient, the government must make sure inexpensive options aren't disregarded in favor of more profitable choices. And the nerds of Metaculus are afraid of cancer. <laughs> Won't comment or predict anything about cancer. Bad juju, bad juju. And in our final story today, the first cloned Reese's monkey has reached adulthood. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Nature, CNN, BBC News, and WION. According to a study published in Nature Communications on Tuesday, a cloned Reese's monkey has successfully reached adulthood for the first time, having lived past the two-year mark. The monkey, named Retro, was cloned by Chinese researchers using an adjusted method from that used for the first-ever cloning of a mammal in 1996, Dolly the sheep. Dolly was cloned using a method called somatic cell nuclear transfer, or SCNT, where the nucleus of a body cell is inserted to an egg whose nucleus has been removed. In 2022, a rhesus monkey was cloned this way but only survived for 12 hours. In this case of the rhesus monkey, the scientists, after finding abnormalities in the placentas, removed the inner cells of a non-cloned embryo and inserted the clone cells into it. This technique was applied to 113 embryos, with 11 implanted into a surrogate, resulting in retro, the only successful birth. Researchers have been working to clone rhesus monkeys because 93% of their DNA is shared with humans, making them prime test subjects for studying physiology, anatomy, and disease. However, other scientists still believe the cloning process is not efficient enough and requires more research. This comes after the same Chinese researchers cloned two identical Sinomogus monkeys in 2018, the first-ever species of primate to be successfully cloned. The two monkeys are still alive today. Adam, thank you for those facts. We begin our round of spins with Narrative A coming from the Times of India. Monkey cloning has a long and controversial history, but given that a cloned rhesus has lived happily and healthily for over two years now, the potential medical benefits should be our focus. Though it won't happen tomorrow, scientists can work on developing medicine for conditions like visual impairment, deafness, heart disease, and metabolic conditions, as well as extremely rare diseases that cause immense suffering. We're going to continue this spin with a narrative B brought to us by The Conversation. Many countries have excluded primates from scientific experiments due to their similarity to humans concerning abilities and feelings. If cloning monkeys are allowed to continue, not only will such torture of these creatures increase, but so will the market for buying and selling them into captivity. Whenever a creature is cloned and experimented on, it shows the humans using it have little care for their moral status. If this carelessness is normalized on monkeys, 
Treating humans this way could be next. The final nerd narrative from Metaculus says that there's a 50% chance that the first cloned human will be born by August of 2038. Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Thursday, January 18th, 2024. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all the articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. Find out more at Verity.News. You can also download the Verity app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Adam Clark, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time on the Verity Podcast.